Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Candace, for the first time in, what, five, six weeks now? We had, well, can we call it live sports this week? I think we can call it live sports, right? Kind of. But the MJ documentary, I know you've been looking forward to this. Oh, I was looking forward to it. I had my MJ shirt on where he was hitting (laughs) the last shot versus the Jazz. I was ready. Um, I thought it was as good as advertised. What about you? Oh, and I can't believe that we still have like eight more parts of it. I was so just inundated in those first couple of hours. Like, I think I could have watched all 10 hours right then and there. I think everybody was feeling like that. Um, It was smart for them to only release two because my sofa doesn't have a dent in it because I would have sat there for 10 hours watching it. Uh, I was able to watch it with my daughter and kind of reminisce with her. But were you surprised a little bit? Because, I mean, obviously everybody knew the beef between the front office and the team and things like that. But how surprised were you of the shots and the jabs that were thrown at Jerry Krause? I mean, like, <laughs> they made him out to be a monster. I mean, he, he, he wasn't very well liked. But, like, Michael Jordan being like, hey, Jerry, you're going to get in layup line with us? Like, you want us to lower the rims? Like, the, the little jabs that they made at his GM, it was just really funny for me to watch that. And really eye-opening as to, like, Mr. Swackhammer in Space Jam. Like, they made him look very much like Jerry. I think that that was probably not an accident now. They did a really good job, and obviously they had to get full access. But it's just to imagine an organization that was going to try to split up a team that had just won five championships, basically, two back-to-back at that point. They're going for their three-peat, and you're talking about trying to rebuild? You know, I remember growing up and Michael Jordan was everything. The Chicago Bulls were everything. But, you know, I'm seeing kids in the documentary that are my age. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's how old I was. So I couldn't have vividly remembered. Like, Michael Jordan's son is in the documentary. That's how old I am. You know, Steve Kerr had his son on his shoulders. That's how old I am. So I'm thinking, like, that's the age that I was when all this was happening. So I remember seeing it, but watching this is... is almost like learning it, learning the ins and outs of it for the first time. It is because we were too young to really process the business side of things. And, you know, it was interesting, the different perspectives uh, on Scotty Pippen, you know, Phil Jackson was like, yeah, I agree with Scotty. Like 
it was ridiculous. And Michael was like, nah, like he needed to play, you know, he, he's competitor. He's trying to win. But the things that I realized about the documentary would be the things that you could do then that you sure as hell could not do now and get away with it. Like MJ playing golf in between two games, yes. <laughs> two of the most important games of his young career. And it's not like he was this vet. I mean, this was his second year in the league and he goes down and plays golf with Danny Ainge. And then, I mean, he backed it up. He dropped 62 the next day, but still, I just, uh, it, the drama that you don't remember, I just, that was, that was eye-opening for me. I think that I was also struck by, like, okay, this was one season that the greatest player in the world on the greatest team, stretch of teams in the world, agreed to have one camera crew behind the scenes to give them this unprecedented access. Like, now, these teams, these guys are being followed that closely every single season, like year in and year out with that same access, you know, the the same like behind the scenes that for that day was entirely unprecedented is now it's the expectation, not the exception, you know? And, And I wonder as we were sitting there, like, do you think that perhaps we'd see him differently when it comes to the legacy that he cemented? Had we gotten that kind of access then? I don't know if we would see him differently or he would have to change. Because Mm. I think in today's class for going to the NBA, I don't know what the rookies do at their courses, you know, entering the NBA, but a lot of it is like that training uh, because your brand is out there constantly. This isn't some of those, you know, TVs that you can cut off or a 10 part documentary. This is like, what is, what was it? The Truman show with Jim Carrey, where it's like, you're on all the time. Like this is your life. and. Yeah. And so you kind of, I think players today may have acted like him back in the day, but now you can't because your entire brand is based on social media and the way that fans and other individuals perceive you. I was also, I mean, there were a number of things that as it happened, I'm like, wow, imagine that today. One though was something that I did when I was in maybe fourth or fifth grade, I did my autobiography project on Michael Jordan, or I guess it was a biography project. It was a book written about him at the time. And I presented to the class, you know, from a first person perspective, I remember talking about being cut from the basketball team as a 10th grader. And I think that a lot of people were a little bit surprised by that. Like maybe not everybody knew his background, like in a five-year span went from being cut from the 10th grade team to like leading a NBA team through a first round playoff appearance. But even that I think would have been handled so much differently today. He goes home, he explains he's been cut from the team and his mom's response is, well, you better work harder to, to make it next year. And imagine, like, imagine the years that perhaps all of us who enjoyed every part of his career would have been robbed of had she, you know, blamed the coach or told him to transfer schools or said, you know what, we're not doing that anymore anyway. Like it it was just, again, one of those moments that I thought, wow, had that happened now, perhaps it would happen differently. But you know what's so crazy now, Kristen, is it's not your mom that's telling you that you can or cannot do it. It's social media. And that's the problem. I feel like judging kids in 10th and 11th grade and determining whether they're going to be superstars is not the correct time to do things. Like right. some people need time to mature. 
I mean, in a four-year, five-year span, as you said, he went from being cut from his 10th grade or his varsity team to then going and playing and hitting shots. And you heard James Worthy talking about, oh, he was the best player after the second day of practice at that age. And so there's so many times in social media where we see these 10th and 11th graders that are being told they're not going to be professionals based on what they're doing at that point in time. They're subject to very early on now, that kind of unprecedented access that was only granted that one season to that one Bulls team. And that's another thing, Kristen. He granted it that one season because he knew that was probably going to be his last dance, as the documentary is called. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season, can you imagine your coach being told, we're not going to bring you back? <laughs> so this right. is or like one of the greatest ever to be told, yeah, you know what? You can I do I mean, it just, there were so many things. There were so many things that happened in that documentary. We were like, nope, see, yeah, wouldn't happen today. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Unbelievable. On the line right now, we've got a very dear friend of ours, a fellow jump man. And I'm not going to call him my favorite CP3 because he's like... Yeah, be careful. Be careful with that. He's like a distant second. All right? Okay, good job. Good work. (laughs) Chris Paul is coming up next. Welcome back. We'd like to welcome in head of Players Association president, CP3. I'll give you that title today. You can come on Ledlow and Parker and have CP3. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> Very surprised. I you Only you know how many times I didn't heard that. You're like the second most important CP3 on the show today. Yeah, yeah that's, that's better than nothing, right? You can have it today. Let's though, Chris, first and foremost, rewind to... March 11th, which now seems so much longer ago than it actually has been, the Jazz Thunder game. Will you just tell us a little bit about that night? What happened as you were getting these real-time updates that all of us were following from so many miles away? It was odd. You know what I mean? You go through warm-ups and everything, and it was already odd that Gobert wasn't playing because I just watched him play two nights ago, and he had played. Um, As everything starts happening, you just, you got a lot of questions. I mean, we were, you know, everybody doing a little dap before the jump ball. And then you just see uh, Donnie from our team run out and everybody now is like, what's going on? What's going on? Once we went back to the locker room, you pretty much knew that he wasn't coming back out. And so it was a lot of, a lot of uncertainty. Um, And I was telling the guy, I've been in the league for a while now, 15 years. I've never seen anything like what was that process like? Like after you guys left the, the the locker room, just kind of distributing information, getting back to your homes, getting back to your families. What was that like? It was a lot. First of all, too, because I, um, yeah, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. I'm I'm in Oklahoma, and usually my brother usually comes to the games or whatnot. But I just so happen to be in Oklahoma by myself. You know, like just me. Like my brother's not in town. My parents, my wife, my kids, nobody's in town. So, um, yeah, we basically got quarantined uh, for a few days after that before we could, uh, 
you know, finally, finally we tested. Thankfully, we took the proper precautions. Um, we stayed in contact with the Jazz, you know, that night, trying to figure out, make sure everybody with them was okay. But, uh, you know, it's like anybody else. Got back home, and called my parents. Uh, I talked to Michelle Roberts a lot because me and Michelle had actually talked a lot actually before that game because probably after that game, we were going to stop having fans at games anyway. So for all that to happen that quick, I remember when I initially called Michelle, she had no clue that it, that it happened. So. Wow. Let's talk about some of those conversations, though, that are happening now because – I would imagine they're happening far more regularly than we even hear about them. How often are you having those conversations with the Players Association and with the league? Sometimes union, uh, every like daily, you know, with the league, it's sort of weekly because no one has any answers right now. And I'm sure you guys hear all the speculations of this can happen, this can happen. Um, like there's nothing that I know of, you know, is really – possible. I think everything right now is uh, on hold until the, the virus gets contained, you know, because that's, that's the biggest concern for any and everybody. As much as we all want to hoop and as much as we miss the game, safety is a priority. So until we can like safely say that guys can play and participate or, or hoop or whatever and make sure that not only that they're protected, but uh, the people around the teams and our families. You know, that's the other thing. I don't think guys are like, you know, let me go out there and play and I, you know, possibly could bring harm to my family. That's out. That's out. So for you, how many days, let's say best case scenario, you guys are able to start back up and finish the season. How many days do you think personally it would take for you guys to get going? Because I know a young me, it would have taken probably three or four days and I could have been like, right. ah, you know, got back right. out there. But like, even for the older players, and I'm not saying we old, we're, you know, seasoned. Um, even for the older players, it does take us a while. And to ha- some people have hoops, some people have trainers, some people don't. And exactly. so it's, a, it's differing situations. And you know, it's funny uh, that you say that. And you know, Candace, because you know what it's like getting ready for the season. And it's not just getting ready for the season because you would be getting ready for a few games and then going to the playoffs where, it really get cracking, you know. And the crazy thing about our leagues is so many different players, right? So it is, you got the younger guys who like, man, just check up, let's play. And then you have older guys, but I think everyone realizes that it's not just a pickup game you're getting ready for either. The intensity of the league is different, so we need uh, an ample amount of time. And that's what's so dope about our relationship with the league and uh, our executive committee, which I love them guys so much because those guys along with myself, like we're in direct contact with Adam all the time. So just know what I leave, you'll never see something come out and be like, hey, they'll be back. They're going to be playing in two weeks. No, that, <laughs> that it's not going to happen because we talk about these things and whatever was to happen, know that it would be a collective decision from like our full body of players. It's interesting you say that because of where the season was when it was suspended like you said, it's not like going into training camp and starting to kind of get into midseason four. I mean, you're days away from the playoffs and teams like yours with the potential to, to surprise a few other teams. If you then were deciding what this could look like, if there were a stretch of days during the summer that 
this could, you're smiling because I would imagine there's just no way to, to, to determine it, right? There really is no way to determine it, but like, I want to hoop, you know what I mean? And I think that's the biggest consensus from guys. Like we miss playing, like just as much as the fans miss it, we're fans of the game too. Like we want to hoop, like we, we want to figure out ways that we could um, find a way to play because um, we miss it. I mean, some of our teams been doing Zoom calls and it's good just to laugh with guys. You know, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned for a lot of my, uh, like, older vets that are retired, right? Like, Chauncey Billups is my dog. Like, I love Chauncey death. And whenever I talk to Chauncey about what he misses the most about the game, besides the basketball, which I think a lot of guys miss, they miss the locker room, like, the camaraderie, the, the laughs, the jokes. And so... Um, as much as I love being home with my family and being around my kids, when I do those Zoom calls with my teammates and we like laugh and joke and those inside jokes, it's nothing like it. So you just miss all of it. Well, switching just to, to your team for a little bit, you guys, I know not in your mind because you knew what you were walking into and the teammates that you had around you, you guys knew what you were capable of, but you guys have surprised a lot of people around the league. And one player in particular, which I've always been a fan of, has been Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And he's talked about how you're kind of his vet. And when he won for USA World Game at All-Star, he was talking mess about you and just saying how he tries to, like, beat you at whatever. He tries to hit shots against you. He All tries to do everything. Uh, what can you say about his progression? And are you surprised that he's playing as well as he's playing? Uh, tell you the truth, I'm not surprised because um... – it's crazy. When you play for a team or whatnot and you get traded or you leave or whatever, you still have connections to that team, right? So when I played with the Clippers, me and Sam Purcell were really close, right? And then uh, Jason Powell, the head trainer for uh, the Clippers, that's like my family, right? And so even though I'm gone, uh, Shea is there with the Clippers. It was a year in between, but then he got drafted and he was with the Clippers. And I talked to PZ all the time. And all the time they talked about all the time. You know what I mean? A lot of the coaches that I knew still there, they always talked about him. They talked about his work ethic and just him as a person, right? And it's so crazy. And I told somebody this story before. I'm at Summer League last summer. And this was after the um, Russ and Paul George, all that stuff happened. And Shay was going to the Thunder. I saw Shay at the gym and I was like, yo, what up? You know what I'm saying? Me and him talking. And I was telling him, I was like, man, I'm actually excited for you going to the Thunder. You know what I mean? You're going to get to be there. It's going to be your team. You're going to get to hoop. And I'm like a fan of his. Boom. What? The next week, <laughs> literally the next week, might have been some days. It might have been some days after that. I'm traded there too. We sort of got closer during the summer. Um, I actually called Shay and asked him to let me know when he was working out. So I went and worked out with him and his trainer. You know what I mean? So then when we got to the season, like, I just saw that he's as competitive as I am. So we do shooting drills. We do rebounding drills. Everything. We just always, always. Yeah, he, was talk, he was talking major noise, just FYI. I'm not trying to start a riff or anything like that. But I think the, I think the biggest thing I've been trying to teach Shay is how to play defense. This don't want to guard. Excuse my language. <laughs> I think, though, Chris, that I saw you then just days after that, as Space Jam 2 was being filmed, you had just gotten the news that you were going to Oklahoma. I think I want to know more about the mindset you approached this situation with, because we've seen 
more than once and even recently, veteran players who at this point want to compete for a championship are sent to a situation they're not happy with and say, you know what, I'm going to sit right here until you do exactly what it is that I want. And you, I think, have impressed so many people, including myself, with the way in which you approach this situation. Like, being the veteran that some of those younger guys could look to for, for leadership, both on and off the floor. So I just want to know more about the way that you mentally approached a situation that you perhaps didn't plan for. Yeah. So for me, um, I don't ever, I don't always do everything right. To tell you the truth. I'm, I'm wrong in a lot of ways. I can be stubborn as hell. I have an attitude and things, but the thing that I don't think you never question about me is my work ethic and my like will to win. Right. Cause I'm so competitive. And so, um, I mean, I, I love to hoop, you know what I mean? Like some people, I, I said this before, like some people like to hoop, some people like the lifestyle of it. Some people like that. It can bring you wealth. It can bring you money. It can bring you, uh, girls. It can bring you fame. It can bring you all that different type of stuff. But I like need to hoop because that's just part of who I am. You know what I mean? Like, I love the energy and the competition of it. So when I saw I was going to the Thunder, it was like, cool. You know what I mean? Cool. I knew I'd been putting in the work all summer that whenever I got a chance to play again, it was like, all right, let's get to it. And um, I knew uh, the only way we could be successful uh, in OKC is if, that we all trusted each other. So... Uh, I don't even know if this, um, this might not be relevant. Like one of our first weeks of camp or whatnot, we were in the um, film room and we just had a real discussion. And it was like, look, fellas, um, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Like, let's talk about the elephant in the room. You know, they be saying I might get traded. They might get traded. I might get traded. He might get traded. But whatever it is, let's not just walk in here and act like we don't know about it. Let's just know that while we are here, we all in. And that's how we approach our season. Well, your passion on the court, on the floor, has been evident your your entire career. But your intro, your walk into the arena, is something that uh, when people may look from the surface and just say, "Oh man, he's dressed fly," but a lot of it has meaning. And with that being said, you're a huge advocate for you know HBCU, you know, and, yeah. and their clothing line and supporting black-owned clothing lines and things like that. And it's evident when you walk in the gym and things like that. So can you talk about your family? And I believe they have a history of going there. You kind of were the only one that chose to wear, to go to school with the school on your chest, unfortunately. Wait for us. They, they definitely gave me a shot. And I'm forever grateful, um, you know, for Wake Forest University and the basketball program. But also as I've gotten older, um, I started to understand uh, and research things a lot more. You know, I was very privileged and fortunate to go to Wake Forest on a scholarship. Uh, but everyone else in my family, you know, everyone went to, went to HBCUs. And I grew up around the Winston-Salem States, the North Carolina A&Ts, the Livingstones, the Hamptons, and all that stuff like that. So um, I've tried to use my platform as much as possible to, to highlight those um, colleges that a lot of times are overlooked, you know. Uh, take this as you as you will, but um, like I said, Wake Forest was great, um, and I'm forever grateful for it. But it would be nice to see um, some of those kids, you know, go to some of these HBCUs. I think the time is is now better than ever. Chris, before we let you go, 
since there are no games right now, we have been preparing games for our guests to play. And this game, Uh-oh. I'm going to Uh-oh. run point on as the two of you compete cool. for, well, you're not really competing for the best or CP3. I think we established that at the start of this conversation. So I'm going to give you both three questions and both of you are going to answer. All right. Pretty simple. Some basketball related. Yeah. <laughs> three questions. Both of you answer CP3 squared. All right. Ladies first. Okay. I like it. Oh goodness. See, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you don't see the score to beat. You're both still obviously playing professional basketball. Do you have a favorite game you've played in all time? My rookie debut in the WNBA was my favorite game. I think just looking forward to it, preparing for it. Everybody was like saying that they were going to shut me down because I was a rookie and hyped and all that and came out and performed. So that was my favorite. Like, that was probably my favorite game. Favorite game all time, uh, high school when I scored 61 points. Wow. All right. So we didn't even get to see that one. Tell the backstory though, Chris. Um, my, um, my granddad, my granddad got murdered my senior year of high school, and he was 61 years old when, uh, when he died. So his funeral was on November 19th. The first game of my senior year was November 20th, and I scored 61 points. And so, you yeah. did what? What did you do at the end of the game so you wouldn't have 62? I had 59, got fouled, and I threw the ball out of bounds. So I still got that ball, too. So that's why that's definitely the most memorable game. Like, I got that ball in the case. That's beautiful. All right, most memorable for you, good or bad, post-game interview of all time. And if either of you say me, then I'm just hanging right up. I don't need this. Post-game interview. Oh, my goodness. We went to the finals, and my whole team, like, came with water bottles and shirts and it was the first time we were going to the finals, so I was hyped. I think yours for me, though, Candace, was two words after you won that walk off. Oh, I didn't want to take it. Yeah, for Pat, that was I understand, my favorite interview. But, but I didn't want to. Yeah, that was my. That favorite was brilliant. Candace, good job, Candace. All the personal and professional disappointments this year. What does this moment mean to you? This is for Pat. This is for Pat. What a post-game interview, good or bad, most memorable. It'd probably be with uh, Craig, Craig Sager. But the rest of your body's all right? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, anytime you win, make everything feel a lot better. All right, you can still smile even though you got bad lip. Yeah, I know, right? It's a nice suit you got on there. Easter passed, though. Easter already went by. <laughs> and this is why, though, I think uh, I did a post-game interview with him. And afterwards, while he was interviewing him, interviewing me, I told him, I was like, that's a nice costume. <laughs> <laughs> that was just his fit. That was his fit. I miss the hell out of Craig now, man. Especially like with NBA style. Especially with NBA style now and it being what it is. Like, yeah, Craig. Yeah. One of my favorites of yours with me, actually. I don't remember what series it was, but you all had gone up 3 1. And- <laughs> that was you, Kyle. Now one went away from your first ever appearance in a conference final. Have you allowed your mind to go that far yet? Nah, it's the process, man. I've been here before, 3-1. Shit went bad real quick. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. We're just enjoying the process. You know what's so funny is right after um, this coronavirus stuff started happening, that meme started showing up everywhere. I it saw started, it. I forgot about that. I forgot that about answer. that. Yeah, that's the truth. 
All right, third question. Who is the celebrity or person in general you've been the most nervous to play in front of? Let's see. I would say Kobe came to our our WNBA finals game three. I think we were playing Minnesota. And, you know, Kobe's like very stoic when he watches the game. You don't know if he... yeah, so, like, yeah, I don't know if the move I just did was good or whether it was bad or what, what happened. Um, and he like nodded after I hit a turnaround jump shot. And that was when I was like, OK, I can I can relax. I was going to say the other CP3. I was going to say him, but he was cheering for Vegas because he's friends with, with the Vegas players. So I was going to say him. But oh, my goodness. All right. Last question for you. Celebrity person that you were most nervous, most excited to play in front of. Um, most nervous and excited at the same time was MJ. It was MJ. I played at MJ's uh, high school All-American game, right? And I, like, this last dance, Doc, is everything for me because that was, that was my childhood. Everything about it. Like, I'm not in the NBA without those Bulls teams. Like, we watched their games every night. So when MJ came to practice and then, like, watched us play, it you don't, it don't get no more nervous. It was like, it was me, Shannon Brown, like J.R. Giddens, Bronze, Andrew Lavender. It was, it was a whole bunch of that, so I'll never forget it. And as a high schooler, like what? It's like there he exactly. is. Yeah, and you got his shoes on, you got his Ooh. gear on. Yeah. yeah, great answers. There will not be a ruling in who my favorite CP3 is. He's going to hang up. Candace, in just a few oh, that's minutes. that's what I was about to say. Like, you see me every week. What, what is the deal? Chris, we love you. We so thank you for taking the time to come on, not only to, to talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing in these days, but you always give us a smile, a laugh as well. Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Anytime, ladies. Thank y'all so much, too. I'm aware that we've been starved for live sports but along with the mj documentary the wnba draft this week candace i know that you were watching our former ledlow and parker guest sabrina ionescu first to the new york liberty again so exciting to have well just sports of any kind back on tv no it was really neat to watch and you know although they didn't get the the draft experience that all of us have gotten i think that you know the wba did a good job of making it special for each individual i saw some fly fits saw family members um i think when hearing your name called it doesn't matter where you hear it uh to be able to to live your dream and to to play in the WNBA and have your name called by a team. I just want to congratulate all those that were drafted and all those that are in training camp and still fighting for a spot. I mean, even though your name didn't get called, doesn't mean that you can't make a WNBA roster. And then also Kristen, I mean, the WNBA did an amazing job with the honoring uh, of, of the three young ladies that played on the Mamba team that were, were tragically killed in the, in the helicopter crash. I mean, Alyssa, Gigi, Peyton, they all got their names called and their families did a good job of, you know, paying tribute to their memory. And I mean, obviously that, that kind of, to start the show off with that, it really put things in perspective of how special it is, um, you know, to be a part of the WNBA. Yeah. Goodness. It was a, a beautiful moment. I think to say the least Candace, you quite obviously have that memory, uh, you know, that, that draft day memory, what, comes to mind when you think of that day? That day was so crazy because the night before we had just won the national championship. So (gasps) I can, I can say this because I was 21 at the time, you know, it was a night of 
not just, you know, kitty cocktails. So <laughs> I was a, a little bit, you know, the, the world, lit. yeah, I was a little lit the next day. Um, it was in Tampa. It was right after the draft. We drove um, from, you know, our hotel to where the draft was being held. And it was just kind of like surreal, you know, like it was just a breath of like fresh air, but it was also bittersweet because I'm leaving Tennessee, someplace that I you know, grew up with mm. at, and it's just a quick transition of it. And then I'm on a plane to LA the next day. So it just happened so fast, but it's something that I'm so happy. We have pictures of my feet up. I'm not happy about the shoes I chose. You looked good. No, you looked good. I loved the white Okay, well, suit. thank you. I remember it, like, distinctly Thank you, but the it. shoes, I wish, I'm going to replace those at some point. We're going to have to... I don't even remember the shoes you had on, but you know what? Like, the, the good thing about Photoshop this day and age, we can, like, actually put other shoes on you and then just print that out, and that can be your draft that's day memory. Gonna, that's my plan. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> like a copy of that, please. WBA draft behind us, NFL draft in front of us. We've got a really good friend of mine and a new Atlanta Falcon in Todd Gurley coming up. With the 10th pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, the St. Louis Rams select Todd Gurley, running back, Georgia. Signed and sealed, officially Atlanta Falcon today. Georgia Bulldog, I'm back home, homegrown. Rise up, let's go Atlanta. Todd Gurley, thank you so much for taking the time. I think the most important question here, because you're not actually wearing it, where is your Candace Parker jersey that we all saw you receive last season? You know, it's funny, it's actually like... Right on my um, dresser. Is it really? Oh, so it's yeah, like yeah, making it its way to the, okay, to the wall. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> the framing place is closed right now. You're exactly right. It's not essential. You're right. But listen, my, my, my jersey is going to get framed. The one that you gave me is going to get framed as soon as, you know, all this, all this is over. So we're on the same, I appreciate same gauge. <laughs> Speaking of jerseys, um, you are now, you've gone from Candace's city to my city, it will easily be one of the highest selling jerseys in the coming year. I mean, how does it feel to be back in Georgia? Um, it's, it's actually a gut feeling. You know, it's like one of those things like where stuff kind of still end up working out for me. Um, got a chance to go back to Georgia. Um, I played college ball there. So it's still like, still like I'm, I'm back home. So it's a good feeling. I'm excited. You know, obviously, I'm still out here in L.A. right now uh, until everything settled down. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. I get to go to some Georgia games, get to be back in the city with my friends. My family is closer to me. So um, I'm excited about that. Well, I was smiling until you made that Georgia comment. And then the <laughs> Tennessee volunteer in me just <laughs> cringed because I know we're going to have to play Georgia. Anyway. Um, but how, how have you been doing? I know this has been different for everybody with the quarantine, staying in shape. I mean, the NFL is in a little bit of a different situation as you guys aren't like in season right now, but you guys are missing, you know, workouts. You guys are doing virtual workouts. How is that going? How are you staying in shape? How's your knee feeling? They got the little virtual like 
um, meetings and stuff. I don't know about all that, but you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is. You gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, it's been, it's been going really well. I, I'm lucky enough to have a, a pretty good neighbor to let me use his gym. He has like a full gym. So I've been able to use this setup every day and it's kind of like a, a good time for me, honestly, like, cause I don't really have a choice, but the, the train. So as I've been doing that like twice a day. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday's my off day and then Thursday and Friday. And then I take the, the weekend. I'll usually either like go on a hike either on Wednesday or like Saturday, but I've been feeling, feeling well, um, getting the knee right and going to rehab and stuff in the morning and just trying to get right, ready for the season, but not sure when everything going to start back up, but I'm just, just training and just hanging out. Yeah, but see, you say I have no choice but to be working out. No, you have a choice. Oh, you do. I mean, you you, you could. Yeah, but I was on for like three <laughs> for three months before then, so I was like, the least I can do is work out now. <laughs> this is kind of the tail end of your off season. With us, everything just stopped exactly. in the middle of a season. Yeah, that's that's so crazy. Oh, it's so funny. So I'll be playing basketball. Um, I got like a little court outside my house, and I wanted to put the jersey on so bad the other day. I really wanted to, but I'm like, nah, I can't. So I'm like, I'm going to just go ahead and get another jersey. That way, when I go out there and ball on them boys, I'll be putting my shooting sleeve on, my headband and everything. Let me ask you this, because, you know, we played pickup in the summer all the time in, in Knoxville. And you always had these, like, football players that would come in and play pickup with us. And they were athletic as all. Like, you could throw the ball to the top of the square and they could go up and get it. But when it came time to shooting, so I want to know, is your J? Because when it came time to shooting, it was kind of like, you know, you guys were big and swole and couldn't really get the rhythm. So is your shot nice? Nah, it ain't all that. It ain't all that. (laughs) I have my good days and my bad days. I can do free throws all day, though. I can do free throws all day. But, yeah, I I just focus on what I can focus on. That's just driving to the basket and basically big boy and everybody else. See, Kristen, that's the scouting report. I needed the scouting report. He's I a slasher. It. I'm okay. kind of seeing, though, potential for, like, an Ahmad Rashad transition here from, like, football to perhaps basketball analysis later. Like, once you're done, you're already going to be in Atlanta. Maybe come in, hang out with us at NBA TV, TNT. I love basketball. That's like, I mean, you know, every football player wanted to play basketball. Like, I actually wasn't going to play football my freshman year in high school, because I was playing football my whole life, so I just kind of wanted to get a break. And, like, you know, I'm from North... I grew up in North Carolina, so, you know, you got... Obviously, I'm a Duke fan. Um, You got Duke, UNC, you know, Wake Forest, (laughs) NC State. I know, it's so many reasons to to dislike me, but... (laughs) I I can't help it. (laughs) I can't help it. But, no, I just... I've always been big in 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 the college basketball... Did you grow up watching a specific NBA team? Did you grow up idolizing a specific player? Were you out on the court trying to emulate people in between your football practices? Oh, Melo. Melo? Okay. Oh, okay. Melo. You were trying to get that jab Yeah, stuck. I still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other day, I wore my Melo Nuggets jersey, and I had his, um, the Melo 1.5s on. I'd be thinking I'm him all the time, but <laughs> definitely not. But I got, I, I always got to defend my boy all the time because it's just everybody always just going to hate on him. No, that's the way that we feel. We actually, Candace and I feel personally responsible for him being signed again this season because we were going so hard for some team to pick him up. Like, why is this guy on the sidelines? Yeah. Like, my like my friends, they, like, literally, like, try to, like, 
egg me on because they know I'm going to say something. Like, I just go ahead and tell them to shut their mouth, like, right away. So now I know how to get your attention in uh, in public. I'm going to be like, Mellow, oh, yeah. he don't have a jump shot. And you're going to yeah. turn around. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I can't ignore it either. It's like, I just can't. You are, though, no stranger to football in Atlanta, not just because of Georgia and the SEC, but because of a pretty notable Super Bowl here as well. Do you have any Super Bowl weekend moment that you consider most memorable or at least one that you could share with us, you know, speaking into a microphone? So we were staying, like, right behind Lennox Mall. And then all my family, so, like, when Super Bowl come, they try to, like, shut down the hotel, like, tell you your family can't come in and do this or do that. So all my family was in in the mall. I think they was like getting jerseys. You know, they have the Super Bowl logo jerseys and stuff like that. And I went to the mall and it was just like crazy. It's just like everybody was like, I felt like a um like a boxer or something. You know, like how they you know in the movies like Creed when he's get to running and stuff, and then everybody get to running behind him. It was like that. <laughs> it was like one of those. One of those type of moments, but it was it was a cool, it was like a good, like a good feeling. But like, you know, just to be around like my mom, my dad, my aunts, and then they ended up getting like a two thousand dollars worth of like Ram stuff, and I'm like, don't y'all already have jerseys like shirts <laughs> and stuff like that? You guys, making me look bad. I hook you guys up. <laughs> Todd, the draft is coming up, and um. You know, obviously, this is a different situation for the NFL having to do a virtual draft. But what are some memories that you had from draft day? Uh, what are some of these guys thinking going into this? Because unlike the NBA, even WNBA, the NFL draft goes for three days. <laughs> so you could wait for an extremely long time to get picked. So what is the mindset of some of these guys going in? Oh, it's a, it's a lot of nerves for sure. Like for me, um, I mean, I had a feeling I was going first round, not, didn't think I would be the 10th pick. So I was in the green room. I was at Chicago, like I always wanted to go to Chicago. That was like a great moment for me. But I think, it, I think it's honestly, I think it's honestly better that everyone stay at home because it's a lot of unnecessary, like extra stuff that you have to do at the draft, whether it's like two hours worth of media, as soon as you get drafted, you know, running around all week, not really getting a chance to like see your family. So um, it was it was a good moment for me, though. I was just in the green room, just joking because um, it's long. Like I said, it's like 15 minutes each pick. I didn't really think I was going to be like top 20 or whatever. So I was just in there laughing and joking, just trying to um, not be so nervous and uptight. And I ended up getting a call. It was like super dope. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you got to be on a plane at five in the morning to go to St. Louis. And I'm like, damn. So <laughs> it's kind of a good thing. Like all these all these kids, they'll get the call and stuff like that, but they'll be, still be able to stay at home. They won't be able to do their little pre their draft parties, but they'll at least be able to be at home, relax, chill, be with their family. And, you know, just take some time off because, you know, rookie year is definitely, it's a long time. You usually come in in April. Um, you stay until almost July get you a little couple weeks and then you have a whole season ahead of you where you go from playing 12 games to 16 games. And then obviously if you make it to the playoffs and the Super Bowl, it's just like a year nonstop. Obviously like it's the same thing kind of with y'all um, women's, you know, y'all go straight from like 
college straight to the pros and then it's like college yeah yeah it's pros. like yeah i don't know i respect y'all for that i don't know how y'all do it at all i really don't and i don't know how y'all do it honestly i always tell people with football in college, we would go into the gym. Y'all would be in a meeting. We would come out. Y'all would be in practice. We go into study hall. Y'all would be in another meeting. So I respect because you guys put in a lot of work to, to be able to perform. Goodness. Yeah, I just got off the phone with um someone at Georgia yesterday. And they still have these guys meeting. You know how many hours they can meet up to right now? Eight hours. I'm like, that's wow. just OD. I'm like, leave these kids alone, man. Well, count me among those who will be rocking the Todd Gurley jersey, not only being a Falcons fan, but a fan of yours as well. However, I grew up in Tallahassee, Deion Sanders, mm. an all-time mm-hmm. great, if not the greatest, okay? The number 21, have you guys had any conversation about it? Oh, we had like some fake beef on the internet. You know, the internet stare everything up, man. So they had they had people they had people thinking that especially now. Oh yeah, it's crazy. It ain't nothing but time on people's hands. So they had people thinking that me and Prime was beefing. If you know me, if you know me and you know Prime, like we're gonna say a joke about anything, yeah. but it wasn't that serious. Um, I'm still gonna wear his number either way it goes. So um, it's it's gonna be good. You know, it's just like a good feeling to come back to it, come to Atlanta. I mean, no. No better number to wear than Deion Sanders, 21 prime time. Show him a lot of respect. Like I said before, I might even do the prime dance, you know, when I score sometimes. Yeah, so. You heard it here. I'm just, just out of respect. First. Just out of respect. Yes. Bring it back. I was a Bears fan. I came to the game the day we did the jersey exchange. And when my Bears were, you know, I had to put on the Todd Gurley jersey. So I'm a fan. Just want you to know, I'm going to be a fan you. of yours with the Falcons, even though it's really hard for me as a Bears fan. I'm still going to be here for the Falcons because of you. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Taking your time. Please stay safe. Please. <laughs> stay oh, yeah. healthy and safe. No problem. Mm-hmm. I got you. I got you. I appreciate y'all. Y'all be safe. I see you around when everything ends. And y'all, y'all take care. What's good? What's good? <laughs> What's good? Get us. We've been finishing all of these shows from our homes to yours with something that's good, something that made us smile or laugh this week. Uh, one thing that brought a smile to my face, Cameo, as you may or may not know, is a platform where fans can book personalized videos or, or send direct messages to some of their favorite athletes or entertainers. Well, for three days, they hosted an event called Cameo Cares. And several of the people that I admire, including Lecrae and Tadashi and Mandy Moore, um, what we all got to do is choose a charity that we wanted to benefit in some capacity COVID-19 relief. I chose Hungry, um, and the goal for Cameo was to raise a million dollars for those who need it most right now. But Candace, I think one of the things that makes these days so special is seeing how many people, regardless of their whatever it is, looking for ways to give to others, whether or not you know it's ever seen, whether or not it's ever heard about. Exactly, Kristen. Whether or not it's ever seen or heard about, it's doing good things and being kind just for the sake of it. And with all these, um, you know, videos going around, I came across a quote from an actor, comedian, Jim Carrey, that I admire. And he's very um, smart and deliberate. He said, imagine struggling with being homeless and someone comes with a camera in your face to give you a meal and you have to take it. Imagine that feeling. 
please stop doing that. If you go help someone, do it with kindness and not with your ego. And I really just thought that that spoke to me in the way in which people are being kind these days. I, I, you know, I, I think it's really important to, to raise awareness and uh, to raise money and to do things like that, do it for the right reasons and do it with respect. You know, the respect the people that are giving, you know, this to the importance, I think, of a platform is that there is an opportunity to challenge others to give, but keep the people in mind first. People, always the priority. And we want to thank some of our people, Todd Gurley, Chris Paul. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Ledlow and Parker. Candice, it's always good to see and talk to you too. It's always amazing to be on set and that you admitted that I was your favorite CP3. So I'm just, I'm just going to say that. Okay. I a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it for this week, but we will be back. Subscribe. Listen. I mean, tell all your friends about Ledlow and Parker.